Good morning. Certainly wonderful to be here. Very thankful for the opportunity to be here and to be with you. Uh, I think Yancey kind of summarized it best this morning when we walked in the door. He said, uh, walked in with grown children. I can't think the last time my wife and I were just sitting there talking about it just a second or two ago, uh, about the last time that we were here together as a family. And it's, it's been a couple of days. And so we're very thankful to be here this morning. Very thankful to be with you. Appreciate very much from the leadership the opportunity to stand before you and and to study a few things with you. This morning, the topic that we want to look at has to do with a little bit with mothers, though it's not completely and totally focused only on mothers. I believe some of the things that we're going to learn from Deborah this morning are applicable to all of us, that we can all learn and, and make a difference. But as has been said, this is Mother's Day, and certainly it's a time that we want to honor mothers and take advantage of that. And what better way, I think, than to do that than to take a, a glance here at a very strong biblical character who was a very godly woman who made a difference in a, not just one or two people's lives, but made a difference in the entire nation of Israel. And I want to share a little bit of her story with you this morning. We won't have time to read everything that the Bible says about Deborah, but there are some very interesting things for us to consider about Deborah. She falls into this, uh, <coughs> pardon me, this um, time period in the history of Israel after they had come out of Egypt, after they'd finished the wandering for 40 years and they'd gone in and they've conquered all the land and they began to go through a period of judges where Israel for a while would follow God and be godly and be righteous type of people and slowly they would fall away from that and, and God would allow another nation to come in and begin to oppress them and during that time he would raise up judges to deliver Israel out of that oppression back into the righteousness and Deborah falls in that category of an individual who helped lead Israel out of that oppression. And it's a very interesting time. And what's most interesting to me, I guess I would say about Deborah is when it comes to mentioning her in the New Testament, we never see her mentioned by name, but we find in Hebrews chapter 11, that that chapter that we refer to as the Hall of Fame of Faith, we do find Barak, who we're fixing to find out is a close companion of Deborah's, who Deborah enlisted to help her deliver Israel. She, he's mentioned in the Hall of Fame of Faith, but without Deborah and the work that she's done, I don't know that he gets there. And so we began to see an impact immediately that Deborah has as she's mentioned. So if you have a Bible this morning, turn, if you will, to uh, Judges, the fourth chapter. And I want to kind of notice a, a, a brief overview of Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5 that tell the story here, Deborah and Barak. Beginning in Judges chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, that reigned in Hazor, the captain whose host was Sisera, which dwelt in Herosheth, the Gentiles. And the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, for he had hundreds of chariots of iron, and twenty years he mightily oppressed the children of Israel. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, she judged Israel at that time. Now, as you begin to see this cycle of apostasy that we've talked about, the children of Israel did evil again, he said, in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord sold them into the hand of this King Jabin, who ruled over them for 20 years. And, and when I believe, what I believe the Bible's teaching here is when he said he sold them the hands, he let their actions lead to Jabin eventually overtaking them. He wasn't providing them with that godly protection because they chose to follow after sin. And so he removed his protection, allowed them to be sold in this hand. 
land. And at this time stands this young lady named Deborah, married, who's a prophetess who judged Israel at that time. And she plays an important role here in this whole cycle of apostasy. And I want us to stop and consider this cycle. Part of the reason that we see this cycle where they are serving God and then they fall away and they serve God, the Bible tells us is one of the reasons for that, at least I believe, is found a little bit later in the book of Judges, chapter 17 and verse 6, where the Bible says, every man did what was right in his own eyes in that time. And I don't know that there could be a better description of life in America than that verse right there. If you stop and look at the society that we're in, everybody's getting the chance to define what they believe is right. Whether it has to do with gender, whether it has to do with absolute values, everybody's going, well, that's, that might be true for you, but that's not what's true for me. And I'm going to define and do what's right in my own eyes. And that verse really begins to take a little bit new meaning when we look at the culture that we live in today. But the scary part is that, that doesn't just describe culturally America in that smaller segment of America that we might refer to as the Christian segment, that verse still rings true. That every man is doing what's right in their own eyes. That they're all picking and choosing and saying, I'm going to serve God this way and this is the way I want to serve God and this is what's important to me. And and so we see that what led to that cycle of apostasy for Israel is really the same situation we're facing today. And in the middle of all that, there stands this woman named Deborah who judges Israel at that time. Picking up the story there in verse 4, the Bible says, And Deborah, the prophetess, the wife of Lapheta, she judged Israel at that time. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel, Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. As she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinamon, of uh, Kardeshan, Nepal, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor, and take with thee ten thousand men of the children of Nepetal and the children of Zebulun? And I will draw unto thee, unto the river Kishon, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and with his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. And Barak said unto her, If thou wilt go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. Then she said, I surely will go. Pardon me, I surely will go with thee, notwithstanding the journey that thou takest shall not be for thine honor, for the Lord shall sell Sisera into thy hand of a woman. And Deborah rose and went with Barak and to Kadesh. What I find really interesting about, as you begin to read this story here, is not only does it say that she judged Israel at that time, but that she judged Israel under a palm tree that was called the palm tree of Deborah. I find that amazing because... A person has to hang out at a particular place quite regularly for an extended period of time before everybody begins to assign that as their typical hangout. Well, that's Yancey's place. That's where you'll always find Yancey after work. He always goes by Starbucks. That's Yancey's Starbucks or whatever it is. If a person just does that once or twice, they're not necessarily going to call that their place. But repetitive, over time, continually being there at that one place, people began to assign that, hey, that's their place. And that's what they say here about Deborah, that she judged Israel under the palm tree of Deborah. And all of Israel came to her. She didn't go seeking them out. 
Catch that part there. Secondly, she didn't go seeking people out going, here, let me tell you what you need to hear. Let me tell you what's wrong in your life. These are people that sought her out and said, hey, we need your counsel. We need your judgment. That's who she was. And the people came to her and began to seek her counsel out. And she calls for Barak and says, I want you, this is what God has commanded you, for us to go to war. And notice his reluctance. He says, I'm only going to go if you go. I think that's pretty huge when you stop and think about the cultural society of that day. That wasn't the role for women to be a leader of an army, to be a military commander and director. Yet Barak looked at this and said, I realize the situation that I'm in, and I'm only willing to go if you go. And God, uh, Deborah said, we'll go, but know that God's going to deliver this battle, not for your honor, but into someone else's honor. And as you continue to read the story that happens there... They go to battle, and God does just as he promised. He delivers all of Sisera's army into Israel's hand, and only Sisera, King Jabin's leader, if you will, commander of his armies, escapes, and he escapes into a tent of a young lady named Jael. And as he sleeps there, she takes a tent peg and drives it through his temple and into the ground, killing him, and she takes the honor from the battle, just as God said that a woman would take that honor. And as you continue to read the story of Deborah, picking up in chapter 5, we read what's referred to as the Song of Deborah and Barak. And we're not going to read all of it, but I want to read at least the first six or seven verses here, if you will. Uh, the Song of Deborah here begins and says, Then sang Deborah and Barak the Song of Abinamim on the day, saying, Praise ye the Lord for the saving, or pardon me, for the avenging of Israel when the people willingly offered themselves. Hear, O ye king, give ear, O ye princes. I, even I, will sing unto the Lord. I will sing praises to the Lord God of Israel. Lord, when thou wentest out of, the, of Seir, when thou marchest out of the field of Edom, the earth trembled, and the heavens dropped, the clouds dropped water. The mountains melted from before the Lord, even that, uh, pardon me, Sanal from before the Lord God of Israel. And the days of Shamgar, the son of Agnath, and the days of jail, the highways were unoccupied, and the raving, uh, travelers walked through the byways. The inhabitants of the village ceased. They ceased in Israel until that I, Deborah, arose, that I arose a mother in Israel. You know, all that she did for Israel, leading them out of this captivity and leading them into the freedom and, and serving God, she looked at that and she called that role nothing more than the role of a mother. And I find that very interesting that all that we see about her that here is that she takes on this role of a mother, being a mother to Israel and help deliver Israel back to this righteousness that God wanted the nation to pursue. And I think, as I said, I think there's a lot for us to be able to learn from this, and specifically some of the things that we're going to talk about deal very focused with the, the role of women today in learning from Deborah, but I believe the general principle is something for every one of us here. For example, one of the things I think that we can learn about in this passage has to do with a woman's relationship with God. When we stop and think about the role of women in the church today and what roles they play in their relationship with God, there are a lot of folks that would tell you that in the church of Christ they treat women as a second-class citizen. I don't believe that's at all true what 
the church is supposed to be doing or should be doing or at all what the scriptures teach. In fact, if we look at what Deborah had, she had this close relationship there that we read about in Judges chapter 4 and verse 6 where she knew what God had said. She called Barak and says, Has not God commanded saying this? She had a close enough relationship that she heard God and listened to God and knew the voice of God and was able to share that voice of God with other individuals. Secondly, not only was her relationship based off knowing what God said, but she was willing to go and do what God called her to do. And you can see that through the whole story of her Judges chapter 4 and verse chapter 5 here. Both those chapters show that she's willing to go and serve and do what God says and not just say, hey, I know what God says, but I'm actually going to put that into application in my life. And certainly I think there's that role that we see in Deborah that points to this idea that she trusts God. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 says, tells us that faith really is not just knowing about God, but faith is believing that God exists and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. I think that's very clear of who Deborah is. She believed that God existed and she believed that God was going to reward her for following, for doing what she said. So she sought after God. She had a intimate, if you will allow me that phrase, an intimate and a deep, passionate relationship with God where she was in that relationship, not depending on someone else to have that relationship with God for her. When we begin to make an application of this, I think that has a very direct application to each of us today, specifically to women, about the roles and the relationships that we have with God. In Matthew chapter 17 and verse 5, the Bible there talks about Jesus and God from heaven declaring His Son and saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. There's a lot of voices that are calling out saying, Listen to me. There's a lot of voices calling out to young ladies, to older ladies today, saying, listen, this is what it means to be a real woman. This is what it means to be a liberated woman in today's society. This is what it means to be a successful mother. This is what it means to have a successful career, that your life matters. This is how you ought to raise your kids. There's a lot of voices calling out to women today saying, hear me, hear us. Hear what we have to tell you about how to be a woman, how to live this life, how to be a wife, how to be a mother. There's more voices than I'm even sure that I know about not being a woman. I don't hear all those voices. But those voices are out there. And the question comes back, whose voice are you going to listen to? Are you going to, like Deborah, listen to God, to hear God and know what God has to say and be willing to do exactly what God wants you to do? You know, your relationship as a woman between you and God is ultimately about your responsibility to hear God. I know and you know that the Bible teaches very clearly that the husband is the head of the house, that God set that up. He's the head of the family. In fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says that uh, in verse 3, I believe it is, that the head of every man is Christ and the head of of the woman is the man and the head of Christ is God. And he sets up that hierarchy in the home that the husband is the head. But he goes on to say this after telling us who the head of each person is. He says, every man praying or prophesying with his head covered dishonors his head. Well, he just told us who the head of the the man is. 
The head of every man is Christ. So for any man to try to access God, to pray to God, or to teach what God says by covering up and ignoring Jesus dishonors the head. But he goes on to say every woman that prays or prophesying without her head covered dishonors her head, for that were the same as if she were sure. Well, the woman's head in this case isn't Christ. It's her husband. That's what he just said. The head of the woman is the man. It's her husband. And he's saying any woman that's going to pray, that's going to access God, to go to God in prayer, that's trying to go through her husband, through Christ to God, dishonors her head, gives to that head honor that's not due him. And that's very dishonorable, to give someone honor that that they've not deserved. He said if you're going to teach what God says and you're dependent upon your husband and you're giving him that honor instead of going through Jesus Christ, you're dishonoring your husband. Your relationship is based on your relationship with God going through Jesus Christ. And really what I believe 1 Corinthians 11 is teaching here as far as as we stand before God as individuals, both men and women stand equally before God, that we all access God through Jesus Christ. That women don't have to go through their husband or their father to access God. They go and access God through Jesus Christ the same as anyone else. And a woman's relationship with God, yes, I believe husbands, I want to say very clearly, I believe husbands are going to be held responsible as they stand before God for what opportunities and how they led that house and, and how they tried to create opportunities for their children and for their wives to grow spiritually. Yes, I believe, guys, we're going to have to answer to God what we did and what we didn't do in our homes to lead our families spiritually. But at the end of the day, ultimately, even if your husband is an abject failure spiritually, that doesn't dismiss your responsibility, women, to have a godly relationship, to have a relationship with God that's growing and thriving, that you hear God and that you listen to God, that you're willing to do what God's asked you to do, that you know what God's asked you to do. As we said, there's a lot of voices calling out to you and trying to tell you how to be a woman today. And I know enough to know that what they're saying about being a responsible American woman today is vastly different than it was 20 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago. And I imagine another 20 years, they're going to come up with a whole other set of ideas on what it means. Well, I want to tell you, God hasn't changed his definition of what a godly woman is, what a godly mother is, what a godly wife is. It's been the same. And it's up to you as women ultimately to hear God and to open that book and say, I'm going to know what God says about being the kind of woman he's called me to be. But not only am I going to know it, I'm also going to do it. I'm going to strive to put in application those very things that God called me to. James talks here about an individual in chapter 1 that is a hearer of God's Word, but not a doer. He said if a man is a hearer of God's Word and not a doer, he's like a man that beholds his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself, and goeth away, and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh in the perfect law of liberty, and continue therein, this man's work will be blessed, is what he says. He's not just a hearer, but a doer. A person that looks into that perfect law of liberty, and continues therein, hearing what God says, and doing what God says, that's when God's going to bless you. It's really a matter for all of us, but specifically as we're making application to women today, of not just hearing 
what God says makes a godly woman, what makes a godly wife, what makes a godly mother, but actually striving to become those things regardless of what the rest of the world says about you, regardless of what the rest of the world thinks about your choices, that you put God in His opinion and that your relationship with God is the most important thing to you, that you're going to hear what God said and strive to become that. You know, I think there's a big difference between knowing what God requires of me and actually working to become what God requires of me. You know, one's just about a head knowledge. And it doesn't take a lot to gain head knowledge. I've even got a couple of college degrees based off head knowledge, and I don't really know all that much. It doesn't take much to pass a few tests. But learning to take that knowledge and put it in application is the difference. And a person can get a lot of knowledge about the Bible without ever putting it into application in their life. And what God has called you to, what we see in this woman, Deborah, is not only a woman that would hear what God said, but she was willing to make the changes in her life to become what God called her to become. And I believe that's a challenge for women today, too. To sort out all the voices calling to them in this world, not only the voices of American culture, but your own voice. And willing to set all that aside and instead listen only to the voice of God to become the woman that God has called you to become. We see that in Deborah. Secondly, we see the influence that Deborah had, the influence of a godly woman. I want to submit to you this morning that what Deborah did in leading an entire nation, just stop and let that sink in again. She didn't just help a family. She didn't just help a neighborhood or a town or a community or a state. She led an entire nation back to righteousness. And I want to tell you, I don't believe she could have done that unless she had the influence to do that. We read earlier in the book of Judges, chapter 4 and verse 5, that all of Israel came out to her to be judged. She had the kind of reputation where people would trust the counsel that she gave. People could look at her and say, that's a wise woman, and what she says I know comes from God, therefore I can count on that. I can trust it. I can do what she said to do and know I'm going to be pleasing to God. That's a powerful person right there. She had a tremendous level of influence that made a difference in people's lives. And what that led to was the ability to inspire people. We read there in Judges chapter 5 and verse 7 that she arose a mother in Israel. That phrase, it just fascinates me the more I let that roll over through my mind. How Deborah was a mother in Israel. A mother to Israel. The whole nation looked at her as mom. That I can listen to mom. I can do what mom said. I can strive to be better because I know that will please mom. She inspired that nation. And I'll submit to you that she was able to inspire that nation, that she built that reputation, that she had that influence, all based off of her relationship with God. That if she doesn't have that relationship with God, if she's not growing in that relationship, if she's not hearing God and doing what God says, if that's not descriptive of who she is, then she's never going to have this influence over other people. I think that principle applies just directly as we can get today as we talk about the role of women today. 
about the influence that a godly woman can have, not just in her home, not just in her community, but across a, a congregation, across lots of churches, a fellowship that get together. The influence a godly woman could have upon God's people is far-stretching from coast to coast, wherever there's a church, if she wants to have that influence, to lead her life in such a way that people know that she's the kind of person that hears God and does what God tells her to do. Notice, if you will, the passage here in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13, that talks about salt and light, where the Bible reminds you and I that we're the salt of the world. He says, but if the salt has lost its, its Savior, if it's lost its ability, then it's good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under the feet of men. He goes on to say, you're the light of the world, a city that's set up on a hill. Neither do men light a candle and hide it under a basket or a bushel. But they sit on a candlestick and give it light to all that are in the house. The idea of influence is, is it makes an impact on the world around it, not the other way around. It doesn't allow the, everything around it to impact it. And he uses two elements here that change the environment that they're in. Salt and light. I find these things to be something that ought to grab our attention that stand out. Salt changes the environment when it's placed in it. It makes an impact. You can tell if there's salt there or not. It's not something where you've got to sit around and go, is this there? Do you taste that? Same with light. When you walk into a pitch black room, if there's one speck of light, it stands out. Everybody sees it. Everybody knows it. In the dark of night, one light shines bright. And he says, that ought to be who we are as Christians. A city set on a hill, that speck of light in all that darkness, that we change the environment around us like that salt, that we make a difference in our immediate context. I want to tell you, that level of influence is going to come only when a person has a close relationship with God that's making a difference in how they live day by day. I know, and you know, there's a lot of self-help groups out there. There's a lot of self-help books. And just being real honest, there's a lot of good old boys and good old girls out there. People that are just naturally kind. They were raised by someone that taught them to be nice and, and to help someone out. And, and I think that's great, and I think that's wonderful. I love meeting those people. But I want to tell you, if, if that's the only thing that's different about us, is we're nice like some other people are nice, and, and we're kind like there's a few other kind people, and we live a basically good and moral life, and that's all that's different about us, then something's missing in our Christianity. If all you are is just basically a good moral person, what good has God done for you? What has He done for you? There's a lot of good moral people that don't know Jesus. Your life ought to be radically different as you draw closer in a relationship with God. And it's from that relationship that your life ought to be transformative to the world round about you. Notice, if you will, what Jesus talks about here in John, the 15th chapter. He kind of concludes a very long succession here, talking about the tree and the vine, the, I am the branch, or I am the, the tree, you're the branch, and all of that. And he concludes it, and he says, Herein is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciple. He said, here's a mark of discipleship, is that you're a fruit bearer. That your life becomes different. 
And if you study this passage, one of the things he says about it is that the branch could do nothing without the tree. Neither can you do anything without me. That's what Jesus says. So it's not just about living a good and moral life. It's about taking the power from my relationship of God and growing close to Him and allowing Him to transform me, Him to change me into what I ought to be and allowing that to produce fruit, to produce work in my life. To be that influence to the world round about me. I think those things are very much so connected. As a woman, your relationship with God is paramount that you grow close to Him, that you know what He calls you to be. And you surrender yourself to Him, allowing Him to change you into that. Stop listening to the voices of the world. Stop listening to your own voice. And begin to listen to the voice of God and, and strive to become that. And as you do that, that influence will grow. Lastly, this morning, I believe we can learn from Deborah a picture, not a complete or comprehensive, if you will, picture of the work of a woman what she is able to accomplish. I fear sometimes that we reduce our workforce by more than 50% by not including women in some of the work of the church. When we look at what Deborah did, certainly it wasn't the typical work of the role of a woman in those days. That's not the role that we, when you open the pages of history, when you open the pages of the Bible, you don't see a whole lot of women that are leading the armies of nations. That's not a common thing. But Deborah shows it's something that that she could do, that she was in a relationship with God, and she led this army, and she led a nation back to righteousness. And I believe there's a lot of work, a lot of opportunities for women to be involved in the work of the church today, to make a difference in a lot of people's lives. Number one, Deborah took a moral stand. She stood against sin in a time period when everyone was doing right in their own eyes in a time period where the individual and self was the highest standard, much like today, Deborah took a stand and said, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to do what's right in the eyes of God, not what's right in my own eyes. And she took that moral stand to reprove sin. You know, we need to have that same attitude today. And there's a lot of different ways that women can have an impact in that. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians, the fifth chapter, And notice a couple of passages here with me. Ephesians chapter 5, beginning there in verse 11. Here the Bible says, And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all those, all these, pardon me, But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. Christ shall give thee light. See that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. You know, there's a time for people to stand up and do the right thing. And I don't believe you have to have some cause to march for. That seems to be the latest craze that's swept our nation here in the last couple of years is everybody's got some cause that they want to go out and march for and and they want to wear funny hats and carry protest signs and all this. I don't believe you've got to do that to make a difference in people's lives. You don't have to have a cause to simply stand up to do what's right in your home, in your neighborhood, in your school, at your work. 
amongst your extended family, amongst the church. We need women today to stand and to point to God and say, this is what's right. We need women today to stand and say, listen, I'm not going to take part in backbiting and gossip and slander. We need Christians in general to do that. But all of us to stand and take that moral stand and lead others in what's right, just as Deborah did. I want you to notice an example of this in the early church of a young woman named Phoebe. The Bible describes Phoebe here in Romans chapter 16. She's commended by Paul to the church there. And in verse 2, he says, I want you to receive her in the Lord because she has been a succor or a guardian, a protector of many in the church and myself also. Stop and, and, and think about that for a second. We oftentimes will set Paul up as this great individual. He's not Jesus in the Bible, but he's only a few steps behind him sometimes is how we look at it. And here comes along Paul and he goes, listen, I want you to take care of this young lady named Phoebe because she's been a guardian for a lot of people. She's been a protector for a lot of people, even me. She's helped me. The work that she did in, in helping Paul certainly has an impact on Paul's ability to spread the gospel, to share that news with other people. Here sets this woman that took a moral stand and protected people. We need that. We need women today that can lead others, that are to be leaders. And someone says, wait a second, didn't you just tell us that uh, women aren't supposed to lead? Aren't, aren't the wife to be submissive to the husband? Yes, and, and certainly that doesn't trump what we're saying here or what we're saying here doesn't trump that they're not contradictory one to another a woman can lead where she can lead and and not lead in places where she's not supposed to lead and that's true for every one of us you know this congregation is blessed with some really wonderful elders and it's their job to lead that doesn't mean that no one else should be a leader in this congregation there are places for every person in this room to be a leader and to take the lead and to stand up and be the leader that God called them to be. But when it comes to the church, the function of the church, collectively, corporately, the leadership, the elders have that role of leading. And that's where they're to lead. Just because others are to lead in other situations and have an opportunity to take advantage of that, doesn't usurp them submitting to the elders of this congregation. Doesn't mean that the elders don't lead. Likewise, I would say a woman can lead in certain situations where God allows her to lead and it doesn't cause her to usurp or violate what the Bible teaches. For example, the Bible teaches about women leading children, about making a difference in the lives of children. And I, I know that may sound very empty to some people, but I want to understand the impact of the statement that the Scriptures make about this. The Apostle Paul, by the hand of God, writes to Timothy and he says, I, I remember the unfurned or the very sincere faith that you have. And he said, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded in you also. He said, that faith that you have, Timothy, that faith that's leading you to get out and make a difference and to be involved in the work of the church, that faith, I know where you got it from. You got that faith from your mother and from your grandmother. The Bible tells us Timothy's father was a Greek. I don't know if he converted and lay, at any point and helped Timothy grow as a Christian. But I do know this. His mother and his grandmother had a major impact in implanting that faith deep in him. That's a tremendous leadership role. I want to tell you it's probably the most important role 
and leading that a woman can take on is leading her children, leading her grandchildren into a deep, sincere faith. Not just go through the motions, not just show up to church on Sunday, not just feel bad when grandma knows you skip church, but a deep, abiding, sincere faith in a relationship with God, leading them, teaching them how to pray, teaching them how to study, teaching them how to handle disappointments in life and frustrations. Teaching them how to put faith in action every day of their life, not just on Sundays. Teaching them how to live that. Not just by an example. Not just by going, listen, I hope you see something in my life that you want to mimic. And, and maybe I've lived a good enough life that, that you'll maybe follow something. I mean, but being very purposeful and teaching your children and your grandchildren what it means to be a woman of faith. What it means to be a man of faith. We need women that will lead children. We need women... That will lead by an example. That we talked about that example and, and going beyond that, but I don't want to minimize that example. Turn, if you will, to First Peter chapter 3 and notice this passage here written to women. He says, Likewise, ye wives be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they may also with the word be, with, pardon me, without the word, be won by the conversation or the conduct by the example of the wives, while they behold your chaste conversation, your chaste conduct, coupled with fear, whose adorning let it not be the outward adorning of plating of the hair and of wearing of gold or the putting on of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit which is in the sight of God of great price. For after this manner, pardon me, for after this manner in the old times, the holy women also who trusted God adorned themselves being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. Notice what he says about this role of women. He said, if you have a spouse that's not a believer, that's not obeyed the word, you can win them not with all the neat charts that Mike McCorkle prints out for everybody once a month. Not with all the great sermons Pat Manning preaches. He said, women, if you have a husband that doesn't obey the Word, here's what you need to be doing. You need to double down and live a committed life to Jesus Christ. Live a life that stands out as radically different that by your conversation, your conduct, the way you live your life can convert them to Jesus Christ. That they can be one without the Word. They're won by the word in action in your life. That's powerful. That's tremendously powerful. We need women today that lead in such a way. That lead others to look at their life and say, what is it about what they're doing? What is it about what they have that makes them so different? How are they able to handle this disappointment, this heartache? How are they able to forgive that hurt? How are they able to get through these things that rock my world, that shatter me? How is this woman able to stand in that time? What's well, their relationship with God? Because they're not worried about the outward, but they're worried about the inward. That meek and gentle spirit. That they honor their husband. In a time period where women are being called to Throw off the bonds of marriage, they say. They say. To do away with traditional marriage. To, to not be in subjection to your husband. And all those things that are out there. Here stands this woman, this godly woman, that conducts herself in such a way that she leads others, least of all, most of all, 
her unbelieving spouse to become a believer because of the way she conducts her life. We need women like that today. We need women that will lead people to Christ. The Bible tells the story of a young preacher named Apollos. I don't know if he was young. I, I like to think of him as a younger guy. That was a very eloquent teacher. Mighty in the Scriptures, the Bible says, that he came to Ephesus knowing only the baptism of John. And there was a married couple that heard him, Aquila and Priscilla, that heard him preach. And they realized what he was preaching wasn't quite correct. The Bible says they took him, they took him unto them, both of them took him unto them, and they expounded unto him more perfectly the way of God. I don't know what Priscilla said in this conversation. I don't know if they tag-teamed, if, if, if the husband took point A and, and she took point B. I don't know how they did it, but the Bible says they took him and they expounded. She was part of teaching someone about Jesus Christ more excellently. She took a very active role. No, it wasn't in the public assembly. God has placed a restriction on the role of women in the public assembly, just as he placed a, a restriction on all of us in various locations. But that doesn't mean a woman can't teach others about Jesus Christ outside that assembly with direct words and with the example of her life. We need women that will do that, that bottom line, that are teachers, that teach people what it means to follow God. We saw the, the passage there about uh, Timothy being receiving his faith from his mother and his grandmother. I want to call to mind another passage very similar to that is Titus chapter 2 that speaks here about the role of older women in the church. Paul is writing to Titus, a young evangelist, and he's giving him the instructions of his job. And part of the job of an evangelist is to instruct different categories of people different ways. Older women, certain things they're to be taught, younger women, older men, younger men, all these different things. And one of the things he tells about young, older women, he says in the middle of this passage here in Titus chapter 2, is that they are to be teachers of younger women. Very specifically, God gives the job of teaching younger women to older women in the church. How to, to love their family, to love their husband, to love their children, to be discreet, to be chaste, to be keepers at home. Listen, none of the topics that are listed there are topics that I believe are beyond a man's comprehension. I believe a man can sit down and open the Bible and say, what does God say about being discreet? What does God say about being chaste? What does God say about modesty? I believe a guy can understand all that. But I also know a reality is, is that an older woman can teach that to a younger woman in a way that a guy never will be able to get across. There's just some reality to that. We need women that are willing to step up and teach the younger women. We need younger women that are willing to sit at the feet of the older women. And I'll let you pick whether you're the teacher or sitting at the feet. That's your job. But we need teachers that are women, that can make a difference in the lives of individuals, that can do the work that needs to be done in the church, teaching younger women, leading others to Christ, leading their family by example, leading their family by direct teaching. We need those kind of women. You know, the Bible does say that the woman is the weaker vessel. In fact, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, we read through verse 6 there. Verse 7 says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. That's true that women are the weaker vessel. God says that. He doesn't mean by saying that that they lack power to have an impact in people's lives. 
By saying that a woman is a weaker vessel doesn't mean that there's not work that she can do. By saying a woman is a weaker vessel doesn't discount any of the contributions that she has to offer. If anything, it, it elevates that and puts her in a very special place. We need godly women today, women like Deborah. Maybe not to be a mother in Israel, but to be a mother in the church. Your congregation needs women that will step up and be a mother to Anna Street Church of Christ. That will be a mother to the North Texas Churches of Christ. We need women that will grow in their relationship with God and develop that relationship, casting out the voice of the world, casting out their own voice, and hearing and doing what God called them to do, growing in that relationship and using that relationship to build influence and then using that influence to go to work for the King, using that influence to go to work for our Savior and make a difference in the lives of people. So really it comes down to this question, and I, I believe this is broad enough that I can ask it to all of us, not just the women. What is your relationship with God like? I want to tell you this morning, you're not going to have an influence on people, and you're not going to be able to do the work that God's called you to do without having the right kind of relationship with God. And if there's something in your relationship with God that's holding you back today, whether it's you listening to the voice of the world, whether it's you listening to your own voice, whether there's some sin in your life that you've not yet surrendered, I want to tell you that's, that's hurting you. It's causing you to struggle. It's causing you to be frustrated. But the God that we serve is a gracious God and a loving God, and He wants you to have that relationship with Him. He wants you to cast all your cares on Him knowing that He cares for you. This morning we've selected an invitation song, and I don't believe it to be my invitation. I don't believe it to be the invitation of the congregation here. I believe it to be the invitation of Jesus Christ, that if you have a spiritual need this morning... He stands ready to change your life. He stands ready to make a difference in your life, to strengthen you where you need strengthened, to forgive your sins, to, to give to you spiritually what it is you need. He stands ready to minister to you. And we're going to sing this invitation song for an opportunity for you to sit back and think, do I need to make a change in my life? Do I want to take advantage of this opportunity to bring my cares not before the congregation, but before the Lord Jesus Christ, casting my cares on Him. And if you desire to do that, we'd be honored, we'd be humbled to help you take those needs to our Lord and Savior. Whatever need that you have, whether you need to be buried with Him in baptism, risen to walk in newness of life, if you need strength to make it through the next day, or if you have sin to confess and to get rid of in your life to Christ, we stand ready to minister to you. We simply need to know of that need, ask you to make it known by having a seat on either of these front pews as we stand now to sing the song of invitation.